1: A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Jack Carr. Jack Carr is an author. He's a hunter. He's come out with some phenomenal books. And one of his books, The Terminal List, is about to be turned into an Amazon Prime premiere with Chris Pratt. What if he's asked Chris Pratt about being a hunter? Anyway, Jack Carr and I connected. And the reason I wanted Jack Carr on the podcast is because we have a connection to a place called Mozambique. He got the idea for one of his books in Mozambique in a place called Nyasa, which is northern Mozambique. It's one of the jewels of wildlife conservation, and it is really proper africa and so i wanted to pick his brain i also wanted to pick his brain about hunting and him being a vocal hunter on a platform like his that is getting more and more popular by the day so jack Carr. yeah no perfect perfect i don't know if you noticed it the other day but and you, I, you may not know this but at the end of every blood origins episode this is what someone says Everyone has their own story. This is mine. It's in the blood. Okay? So you look at me like that, nobody knows who I'm talking to right now. But, um, so we did, I had an Instagram post. Oh, I did a t-shirt collaboration with a strength coach out of Idaho. Big fan of Blood Origins. He said, I want to build a t-shirt. We're going to do like a, a collaboration. It's done brilliantly well. And, um, It has a deer head with a DNA between the antlers. It's got a kettlebell in its mouth. (laughs) And then it's got this banner across the top of front of it and it says, In the Blood. Nice. And someone went in and goes, Ooh, are you not worried that Jack Carr in the blood is going to be <laughs> is going to be like mad or copyright infringement? I said, no, Jack Carr is a pretty big supporter of ours and loves what we do. I don't think he'd be mad with us calling it in the blood.
2: No, I love it. I absolutely love it. That is awesome. That is fantastic. I didn't know that. That's great.
1: So since we just talked about it, and I'm terrible typically of uh, introducing people. I, I get into a conversation right away, four or five minutes, <laughs> and then... But obviously, Jack Carr, welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast.
2: Man, thank you for having me on. I'm a uh, huge fan of what you're doing. Um, and so it's, a, it's an honor to be on here with you. And we'll love to have you on mine, too, and dig into to everything that you have going on, oh, your past, yeah, how you sure. got where you are. I'm excited for that. So. Yeah,
1: for sure, man. Um, and we're here yeah. at Safari Club. Safari Club International. So let me ask this. When did you decide? Because I think in, in hunting, we obviously have bad PR. Bad perceptions, okay. Mainstreamers, dare I call you a mainstreamer, Jack Hall, Oh wow. Um are sometimes reluctant to say I hunt. Or I'm a hunter. Did it even cross your brain to like I'm not gonna that's just not me and I don't want to put that through my social media sort of output? Nope. Um
2: you know, I did take about a year just with a ghost social media account looking at Instagram because uh, in the SEAL teams I had Facebook was invented while I was on active duty my space before that I remember a couple years before that Um, but I never had an account any social media presence Mm -hmm. whatsoever Uh, and back then I thought you know there's nothing good that can come from having this from a security standpoint. Uh, now it's different, actually. Now if you come in or you go somewhere uh, under alias or whatever else, if you don't have a social media presence, it can spike. So things have, have shifted. Our intelligence agencies have to have to figure that out. Some of our more covert military units have to figure that piece mm-hmm. out. But, but I did go on social media for a full year. And I just looked, and I hunted, I followed a lot of hunting stuff. I followed stuff that I wanted to wanted to see sure, as, sure. I was, uh, as I was as I was checking things out, and uh, just kind of get used to it. What is a What is a like? What is a friend? <laughs> what is a thing? And then the story pops. up thing. I'm. What like, is a story? It's getting more confusing. Freaking classic uh, Navy so. Seal who decided he wants <laughs> to get
1: into social media.
2: Yeah, full year. And I'm like, what do I like? What do I not like? Um, but the good part for me was that authenticity, and it's totally overused, but there's not a better word for, for what resonates with people uh, these days. And I saw that that really um, made a big difference with uh, how people were able to engage with an audience. And I was like, well, that's good because I don't know how to be anything else, but who I am. So I don't need to pretend to be somebody else. I Mm -hmm. don't need to talk to a PR firm or my publicist Mm -hmm. or anybody at Simon and Schuster. I just, you you know, go on and try to be as thoughtful as I possibly can be, which I try to be in my books, as I try to be sure. in every social media post or sure. every uh, interview, no matter what it is. Um, but I did look for a while, and yeah, it didn't really cross my mind not to um, not to, uh, to say anything. Yeah, not to say anything. But uh, yeah. but I did think I want to just be who I am, which is uh, trying to discuss issues or portray different uh, you know events or no matter what it is in a thoughtful in a thoughtful way. Yeah. I thought that's what I owe my audience. That's what I owe people right. who are spending their time Mm -hmm. reading my books Mm -hmm. or following me on social media. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. They have a limited amount of time on earth and they have no idea how long it's going to be. If they're going to be here tomorrow or they have 10 years or 50 years or whatever it is. And they've decided to spend that time in the pages of the books or following me on social media. And I took that as a responsibility because that's someone's life. That's that's the the time they have on earth and they're choosing to read your post or read your book. And that's something I take extremely seriously. So uh, that's why I never just post a meme, or do something to try to get a like, or right. whatever. It, it's just uh, someone's trusting me with their most valuable asset, uh, and I need to, to to be a good arbiter of that time, and uh, that's a responsibility I take seriously. So no matter if it's so one sentence, a paragraph,
1: or an entire book, that's,
2: uh, I try to be as thoughtful it's as I can. It's funny you
1: say that time is your most valuable asset. Do you, have you interacted, or do you know the name Cuz Strickland? I don't think so. So, Cuz Strickland is essentially the grandfather of him and Will Primos. Have you heard of Will Primos? Oh, yeah. Cuz was Will's original cameraman when they both decided we needed to start hunting and filming turkey hunts. No kidding. They're the grandfathers of southeast turkey hunting, deer hunting, filming kind of deal. Okay. We filmed Cuz for Blood Origins, and we titled his episode Time because he said exactly what you said. He said, when people come up to me and they interact with me... I want I need to give them my most valuable asset and that is time. Yeah. And um yeah, it was a very resonating episode. Um but it's funny you say that and, and I'll say this your, your your rhetoric on this is why I'm going to post the way I'm gonna post is rare. Mm-hmm. Because there are many, many, many people in the mainstream audience, one of which is featured in your new big television series. He posts about hunting. Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. He posts about it. He's not worried about getting cancelled. But there are another. There are 99 other Chris Pratts that hunt, and they say nothing. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered if we could get a hundred of them mm-hmm. all at the same time. Boom! I'm a hunter. Yep. Can't cancel a hundred of them.
2: No, I heard you talking about this. What is it earlier this week, sometime? And yep. I, I put it into. Of course, that goes right in my mind to you know my sniper brain. And uh, you're talking about one person comes up and they're boom, canceled. And I'm thinking of it. Okay, they walk. You know, they're walking across something and they get you know, get shot. Um, but hey, a hundred of them run across all at once, and a little harder to do that. Um, yeah, it's and it's it's such a crazy thing because. Uh, You know, all these different people, whether it was Hollywood, whether it was sports, uh, whether it was finance, media, all these people came from a generation where you almost had to hunt absolutely like when their grandfather and Mm great-grandfathers were starting these different companies or Mm -hmm. uh starting a production company starting a media company whatever it might be you know they're coming out of the 1800s they're coming into the 1900s and you know people are working then they hit the depression um so there's this history of, of hard work and being connected to the land right and then i mean You know everybody faces adversity, so I don't want to make it seem like then we hit easy street after World War II. Right? You know that generation came back though,
1: but then they got back to work. Industrial revolution Mm -hmm. and technology and you know i think it's convenience life convenience mm-hmm. started becoming a priority for people yeah and that's just what it is you can go get your meat in the grocery store now you know it doesn't have a name it doesn't have a face it doesn't you're not connected you anymore you put the
2: work in to getting that meat i mean you put the work in to make your money to go to the mm-hmm. grocery store but there's very little difference between grabbing that can of spaghettios and grabbing that the meat that's packaged in the in that that section um, but it's so interesting how fast things can change and then also, as we've seen over this last year, how fragile society is and how it can crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people used to be called, to conspiracy theorists that thought that way or talked that way or prepared a little bit. Oh, you prepare a little bit, you're a prepper. Sure. Well, I yeah, remember right at the beginning of COVID when how worried everybody was and mm-hmm. worried about being able to go to the grocery store. What are we going to do? And uh, so in the interviews I did around that time, which was when my third novel was coming out, Savage Son, um, and that was a time when... The publisher didn't couldn't look back twenty years or ten years and say this is what we did in the last pandemic when a big book was coming out. So I had to just kind of scramble and figure right. it out. And so right. I framed the release of that book really about being prepared and about hey, if you felt. Yeah, did you the last send it month, around
1: in big pelican boxes and stuff like? The last that one I did, yeah. The, yeah.
2: Uh, the the two before that, I sent around in like a more of a cardboard type box. Mm. But then I needed up my game. I always got to be moving <laughs> that ball forward. So the last one came out in the Pelican case, and I'm working on this uh, this next one right now, how that's going to come out. Just, that's and it's just in, taking, the,
1: in the Blood, right,
2: is the in next the one? Blood. Yep, in the Blood, You better comes send out me something, I'm sending like, oh, you. Yeah. to In the Blood with you're what, getting, what we do. You're going to get the special package for sure. <laughs> yep, you'll get the special package for sure that I'm working on. So
1: as you've gotten more famous, again, dare I say you've getting famous, okay? Have you not had people intersect because you're dealing now with publishers you're dealing with screenwriters you're dealing with writers rooms you're dealing with executive directors you're probably dealing with more management type people that are managing you quote-unquote anybody come into those circles and say hey jack that hunting stuff it needs to you need to watch out for that kind of stuff surprisingly no really and uh,
2: a lot of the people that are uh, like my agent or in New York publishing is uh, traditionally very uh, left leaning and many Mm -hmm. of them don't I would venture that many of the people in the Simon & Schuster building do not hunt. Right. Uh, uh, I don't think that's a stretch. To, uh, I've never, I haven't never, I have asked everybody, of course. Um, but no one has come to me. Uh, and even before that, no one on the creative side of the house said, hey, you might want to tone some of this down
1: in the book right, And I right. didn't know stepping that's into awesome. this new space. I had no idea. Do you think it's different with an author? Like you just said a book in the book. And I guess my mind never went that way. Because you can really say anything you want in the book. Because it's fiction. Yep. Right, yeah. and everyone's going to take it as fiction. But if Jack Carr posts a picture about hunting a buffalo in Nyasa, that's different because that's reality. And all of a sudden, they off they they figured out that Jack Carr is actually a hunter. But it's connected. So for me, and I think
2: other authors really do have have thought about this, or have had managers that have told them to steer clear, or a lot of them actually oh, don't hunt, what or they don't. They don't shoot, and they just kind of – It's connected to the aura
1: of who you are and what you've built and this brand that is you. Exactly. It's weird saying a brand, but, I mean, (laughs) that's what – you know uh, but that's I said mean, a essentially number of weird things <laughs> yeah. mainstream famous brand yeah
2: but it is and it's uh, I mean it's connected to me and that's what has uh, really resonated with an audience that uh, Simon & Schuster are publishing in general hasn't seen in a while um, and I think a lot of that is because of that social media presence yeah. um, because there are those touch points with reality whether it's in the SEAL teams and I'm describing an ambush in you know, a totally fictional ambush but yeah. I'm thinking about what it was like to be in an actual ambush uh, or what it was that t- like to take an actual sniper shot well that's in a fictional thriller uh and people want to i think have other touch points with you these days and social media allows us to have that so even if someone is let's say anti-hunting or whatever they appreciate the authenticity and the work that went in to one getting that animal Mm -hmm. and then being able to uh leverage that into the novel uh whether it's feelings emotions the actual experience itself um but they're reading something that's not just a figment of someone's imagination or a regurgitation of something Mm -hmm. that that author read or heard from someone or watched on tv once or saw in a movie or whatever it is it's like they just like the gear um most i mean i shouldn't say that most but some authors they don't really have a connection with gear, with guns, with knives, sure. um, but uh, but I do, mm-hmm. and I can use those things as tools to develop my characters. It's not Absolutely. just that I go on and type "Navy SEAL knife" right. and see what pops up, and then <laughs> say, melody. "Oh, that one looks cool," and it doesn't even like wouldn't you, It's a guy in a suit; he's wearing a like, you know a big Rambo knife or right. something like that. No, it's stuff that I that I know, mm-hmm. and it has been a part of me uh, well before the SEAL teams. I was always a gear person. Growing up, my whole life, but um, I mean, it, it's a part of me, and that comes out in the novels. And I, I really think that's been a differentiator uh, because it's uh, it's not that common.
1: No. Yeah. So you talk about the things that you know. Did you grow up hunting?
2: So I grew up with guns. Uh, guns in the house. Go to the range. Thirty thirty. Pre sixty four. Thirty thirty. Old the uh, twenty two. Uh, another cold twenty two Colt, uh, Colt Woodsman.
1: Uh, so we would shoot my you're family. Talking, by the way, you're talking to the most sort of na- naive. Uh, gun bullet individual you'll probably ever meet. Okay. Oh really? I know I have a 270. <laughs> okay, there you go. And I think I, that's the width of the caliber. You know, I'm I'm that. I'm that naive. Got it. Okay. Okay. So okay. when you start saying all these They're shaking guns. my head, I'm going, Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Older you know?
2: guns. Uh so my dad's uh and 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 his uh parents generation type of, of firearm. Okay. Uh kind of from the like let's say the nineteen twenties up to the, the early sixties. But dad didn't uh, hunt? No, no, so didn't hunt. I always wanted to though. I had this I had this I was drawn. You had this to thing that hunt. was in your blood. Yep. So we fished. hmm I always wanted to hunt. I look at my friends that were going out hunting, and I always wanted to go with them. Um, but it was just our, our family just didn't didn't do that. Um, so then my I think my first my first my real hunt mm-hmm. um, I quote unquote was uh, in the SEAL teams for sniper sustainment in uh, 20 and 2000. Uh, so up in Washington State. Uh, deer hunt up there 300 Win Mag um, got a great deer hung it in the tree you know it's hanging there it's cold out and we're slicing pieces off and searing it on the grill and I was oh, just fantastic. like ah. <laughs> <And> loved it <laughs> and uh, and then um, September 11th happened not long after that so a, uh, a different kind of hunting which there are right. a lot of similarities though sure. between hunting For people sure. and, and hunting animals there's yeah. no doubt about that and I, I weave that into the novels as well but, uh, but then a couple of years later, these different foundations started doing these hunts for seals and kind of at like events like we're at now, yeah, and right. auction yeah, things yeah. off. And and so then I started started going. And then my daughter got to an age really early, maybe four, and saw me watching the Outdoor Channel. There's a number of years where all we had on in our house was the Outdoor Channel, <laughs> and uh, so we'd be watching, you know, Jim Shockey or whatever, yeah, right. and and she was naturally gravitating towards it at an early age. And so she saw me leaving, coming back cooking, watching a show. Uh, and I met some of the people at at safari club or wherever else we were and, and, uh, and she wanted to go. So she got her first year at age seven, um, and going out together with, as a family to do these things only has made us closer. Um, but, uh, then we got, we kind of became a hunting family. Awesome. And went all, all your in kids hunt. on it. So uh, the kids, and we have a middle child with some severe special needs. Yeah, so yeah, he, does, yeah, uh, yeah. he does not. But, uh, but our youngest and, uh, and my oldest and uh, my wife. And so we, we hunt. And for a while, all we were eating were, was wild game. Um, cause we were hunting so much, especially as I was getting out, sure, started sure, taking sure. advantage of some of this leave that I built up over the previous 16, right. 17, 18 years. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, now we have stakes and stuff like that, but, uh, <laughs> but for a number of years, all it was, was what I was bringing back sure. and we loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, we felt healthy. We had that connection. We mm-hmm. talked about where I got it or where mm-hmm. my wife got it or my daughter got it. Mm-hmm. That's the best with my daughter. So she's seven, she's eight, she's nine, and we're talking about how she got this and where we were, and that was such a great trip. And so she's connected to it again, another touch nice. point, not just nice. the trip, but being a part of the entire process. process. So um, it's been nothing but uh, but beneficial for the family. And I think, oh, man, as a society, just having that connection mm-hmm. to the land. And now I see something in the grocery store, and you think, wow, how it, like people talk about how expensive meat is. And I'm like, wow, how is this only this price but right. everything that goes into it sure, of uh, to get it there to, on that shelf for you to then purchase and take exactly. home and cook. Um, but uh, but yeah, we, we became a, a hunting family, and I've been very fortunate to, to, to hunt quite a bit since then, and uh, it's just a part of our lives. It's just I can't even imagine uh, a, a life or a, a family not hunting mm-hmm. together.
1: Well, one of the things that I, I told, sorry, I think it was through an Instagram message or whatnot, so I said to you, I said, one of the things that we're going to talk about is a special place that both of us have been to. It's a place called Niassa in Mozambique. And to set this up, I want to tell you my history in Mozambique because I don't think you know how intricately my family is tied into Mozambique. So my grandfather took the family from Germany in 54 and he immigrated to then Portuguese East Africa, Lorenzo Marx. And he opened up an import-export company and he was a hunter huge hunter my grandfather and my father that arrived was an 8-year-old boy so by the time late 50s early 60s my grandfather connected with the first hunting concession that there is in mozambique and was called safari landia safari landia was run by a belgian no a german baron called werner von Albensleben. werner had two phs that are probably the most famous uh Elephant contract PHs. They were elephant contract hunters. Okay. And then they, the elephant ivory trade contract hunting uh, was taken away. Mm-hmm. And so they became professional hunters. And that was Harry Manners and a guy called Wally Johnson. I think I saw a couple books, actually, as Correct. I was So the Harry floor Manners out. has a book called My Last Kumbaku. Uh-huh. My grandfather has a book called My Last Kumbaku, published no by Roland Ward Press. And so those three guys and Verna. Hunted in the Save River, it's Cutadas Nine, and um, the stories that came out of the bush with these <sighs> guys, right? So, my, f- I'll, I'll show you a photograph once cool. we finish getting off this. But my grandfather and his, actually, I can, I can find it as I'm going through this. My grandfather and Verna loved buffalo hunting, and that's why I'm, I'm because of Nyasa. and they would use 416 Rigby. That was their g- that was their caliber of choice, open sights, um, no, no scope. Yeah, yeah. Right, and then one day Werner had an idea. Hmm. Werner was like, "Hey, Leo, Leo is my grandfather, and he hunted everything—leopard, elephant, buffalo—but he never killed his namesake, so he never killed a lion." And uh, he, s- Werner said, "Hey, I've seen these Masai guys got these long stabbing spears. We need to get some stabbing spears." And we need to go hunt a buffalo with these spears. (laughs) So I'm showing uh, Jack a picture of Werner von Alvesley and my grandfather on a buffalo. But look at that buffalo. The buffalo is a proper tank of a buffalo. Mm -hmm. Uh, What you don't know about the story is the buffalo is actually blind in his left eye. And that's how they got up to him. No kidding. And we're close enough to get to spear... An African Cape Buffalo. No kidding. But look, it's old school safari, right? Yeah, these yeah. guys just lived in the bush for three, four, five weeks at a time. Jeez, look at that. That is amazing. And so those are the... Spe- oh, that is Yeah, wild. they made these huge pig spears, essentially.
2: That is amazing. Yeah, that is just huge. Just because
1: they were like, well, let's just try hunting these things a different way. Like and this guy- is the heyday of Africa, yeah, right? Yeah. This is the 60s. My, grand- my father was a camp boy. His job every morning was to go out and kill an impala, bring it back so that they had fresh liver and onions and garlic for breakfast every morning. I love that stuff.
2: Oh man, look—they like got some backup rifles. Those. So oh was no, smart. for sure. And uh, and I love look at that old camera there, and look at that watch. Mm-hmm. Man, that old is school. cool. Yeah, I love it. So uh, tell me, love it.
1: what brought, what took you to so to set it up? Niassa, Niassa is in northern Mozambique, and it is like premier wilderness place. It also has a devastating history when it comes to poaching and elephants it had a very very strong elephant population at one time and then went through a significant poaching issue now is a, essentially a jewel a god a jewel surrounded by hunting concessions and it's a wildlife paradise and it uh,
2: you felt like you were in old africa like you felt like there's, you know, there's no fences. You're out there. You're flying in, and it's not like you're just flying in for the experience or to make right. it more convenient. You're flying in because you have to fly in.
1: Yeah, and you see a lion, and you're like, mm. yeah, you're a proper lion. You've eaten him. You've probably oh, yeah. eaten humans. You just do what you do that what lions do.
2: And those lions look like they're, I mean, they look like they live in the bush. They don't look like the ones that you see <laughs> on TV or at the zoo. Like they're going through that bush. So all that, all those. Ramble and everything's just catching in their manes and everything and they're just like they're mean looking mm-hmm. they're awesome um so yeah so it, it all started with my character my character at the end of the first book needed to go somewhere to learn to live again and because of where he's located at the end of that first book and how he's getting there there's only a few places that he can go um, so I have a starting point and then I can look at that map and I have to ha- take him on a journey. And there's another one that like going back to Simon and Schuster and what they allowed me to do, the smart thing to do would just be to start another book, do something very similar to what I did in the first book and, uh, just tell another story that changes the, uh, changes the United States to Russia or Europe right, or whatever, right, right. Kind of do the same thing. But uh, I thought that would be disingenuous to everybody that, uh, spent time with my character in that first book. Uh, he needed to go on this journey mm. of, uh, of redemption, learning to live again, finding that next passion, the next mission, just like anybody does in life, whether they're changing jobs or getting a divorce, death of a loved one, doesn't have to be leaving the military or special operations and moving into the private sector, uh, any sort of a transition. Um, and so he needs on a boat and I looked and I thought, okay, well, there's Europe, there's the med, there's Africa. All right. There's West Africa. All right. What if you hit that and then overlanded across maybe or hmm, anyway so I and I'd been coming to these shows for years. I'd been to Africa at that point tw- twice for to hunt. Okay. Tw- once for the military. Um, and then once uh, on my own, or twice on my own Okay. Uh, before that. So I'd been to Africa a couple times, okay. but, uh, but only hunting there. But never uh, Mozambique. But never Mozambique, no. Nope. Uh, so I'd never been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my character needed to go someplace that was wild. Mm-hmm. He needed to go off the grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that meant old Africa. And I thought, hey, there's no better place than, than Mozambique for him to go. There's history there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tie that history to another character's family. So I just started developing this story. And then luckily I happened to know a couple, a couple sailors and reached out and said, hey, if this guy has this level of experience and uh, has this boat, uh, how would he get to here? And uh, so they walked me through it. And so anyway, it was it was so much fun. But point being i was kind of surprised simon and schuster let that stay <laughs> but uh they let me do all they've never said hey you might want to take something out yeah um because it starts a lot slower that second book because he sure. has to go on this journey yeah, yeah um has some flashback sequences in there and all that sort of a thing but he needed to go someplace wild and uh needed to disappear and then i went out there so i flew out so i didn't even have a deal for the first book yet and I'm right. already writing the second one. Because because right. uh, John Grisham, he wrote A Time to Kill first, yep, and he couldn't give that thing away. That's right. And then he writes The Firm, and that takes off. But what if he'd written just that first book and was like, ah, I don't want us to read this. Like He'd 100%. still be practicing law yeah, somewhere. of course, was, of course. But, uh, he, but he, we've had a I John hear this Grisham book. all the time with, every, with my wife. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, yep, yep, we talked about that. Um, and so now we've had a John Grisham book every year since, uh, since then, since the early 90s. Um, so I always knew I was going to write two. And if both of them didn't work out, didn't find an audience, then I was going to reevaluate my life choices. <laughs> but uh, but I went all in. So even before I mailed it to Simon & Schuster, I flew off to uh, to Africa and uh, went there with uh, with some good buddies. And we went out there. So you went to
1: Kambaku Safaris. Yep. Oh, my goodness. You went yep. into Nyasa. You flew as a little prop plane out yep. of Pemba. That's it. Two and a half hours. Exactly. Huge
2: granite Inselbergs, right? Beautiful. I mean, gosh, I mean, it was so incredible. And I... I couldn't have written the whole experience better. And I went there with pages of questions. Uh, hey, how do you say this in some of these local dialects? And there's so many different local dialects sure, over there. It's, sure, sure. Uh, you know, um, so I had all those because I didn't know which ones I was going to incorporate or not. And then I had all these history questions, and I was going to take pictures, and I did of uh, the dirt and the rocks and just all it, everything like that. Did um, you
1: hunt at the same time? Yes.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, the focus was Cape Buffalo. Right. Um, and I uh, brought a double rifle, a... Uh, uh, the, a 500-416 Nitro Express from um, mm-hmm. from Krieghoff. Mm-hmm. So I wanted that old school African experience. So I took that um, that double rifle, went to FTW Ranch in Texas, went through a week of training with it. Right, and, right, right. Um, you know, luckily I'm fairly uh, proficient with sh- with shotguns, and you know, obviously double rifles, not a shotgun, but there's some similarities there. Um, uh, depending on the shotgun. The, the charging scenarios, um, is F- yep, FTW. Yep, So they yep. have them charge it, and so you're figuring out, you know, what, what what glove do you wear a hand on? You, what on which hand or the double rifle cause mm-hmm. it's going to heat up and then how do you do those reloads and, and they put you under stress and awesome. So no, no scope, iron sight, double rifle, very large bullet for people that are Absolutely. listening. That's probably yeah. the best way to, right. to to describe it. But old school. So I wanted that old school. It's old school as you can get today. Um, so yeah, we went over there. The Cape Buffalo was the uh, was the focus. Um, of course, planes game at, mm-hmm. the, at the same time with my my best friends in the world. Um, and I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes, and I'm talking to my PH. And they know that I'm writing a book. And uh, who was your PH? B- uh, so I Ryan. Ryan uh, Cliff. Yep. Yeah, Ryan Cliff the whole time. Uh, you know that
1: uh, I. Here's how small our world is. I got a WhatsApp message from Ryan Cliff this morning. No way. Yep. No kidding. Yep. Amazing. You saw the world record bushbuck? that he sent it to you? Nope. Looks like a sitatunga. No 22 kidding. and a half inches. You, don't, you may not like – this may be this, sort of the reverse. You're talking about yeah, bullets yeah. and guns right, and you're right. talking about inches yeah, of
2: antelope. Yeah, yeah. To me, they all look like shooters. That's why I need Ryan right there, you know. <laughs> That's why I need him.
1: A, a, a good scoring bushbuck is like 15 and a half, 16, okay. 16 and a love half. bushbuck. This one was 22 and a That's half. crazy. Yeah. Crazy. New world record. And Ryan was the PH. Oh, that's crazy. That is <laughs> awesome. He's so fantastic. <laughs> so I took a ton of
2: him, and he's in, when you read the PHs in the novel, like, yeah, there's a lot of him in there, and we had... Great experience with every PH that was over Fantastic. there. But I was with him the, the whole also, time. Awesome, um, awesome. But uh, the other guys made it in as well because I have multiple PHs that I talk about in that novel. But the exact camp that we were in is the one that I write about in the novel, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, uh, one of our guys got uh, got a Cape Buffalo like day one. Another guy, last day, last minute essentially of the trip. Mm. Um, I think mine was about on day nine or so, but super old. Oh, and it just showed up. It just arrived at our house in just gigantic box. My wife's like, "What is this?" <laughs> so uh, yeah, but it's such an old guy. Oh Good. my gosh, we could Good. not have written it better. Yeah, come out of that. Come out of. It. We're tracking him, tracking him, and just uh, uh, he, like through some thick stuff, and then opens up a little bit. Bam! There he is, and boom, boom. I mean, he was done with the first two. Sure, but I mean, of course, reload quick, more. So I just kept going until he was done. Just to yeah, keep, exactly. But they're huge animals. Of course. Um, so, uh, yeah. But and he, he didn't you know And, you know, that's
1: the, the best thing about Cape Buffalo hunting. And I haven't done it, just to be, set the record straight. I want to. I'm going to do it with a 416 rugby open sight just like yeah, my nice. grandfather did. Perfect. Um, but, you know, you don't do your job to kill him. He's going to come and kill you. Yeah. That's what makes it that thing about Cape Buffalo hunting. Oh, yeah. Especially in that thick stuff. And of course I'm thinking back to all the
2: books I've read, you know, uh, the the Rourke, the, the Capstick, you know, all these guys I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm thinking of all that stuff as I'm going through and that's all in your head, but you've focused. And there are very few things in life where you can focus like that. Um, being at the edge of a ramp when you're about to jump out of a plane, that's one, being at the top of a rapid, like in a kayak when you are about to drop in, um, and uh being on that being on that hunt right there when you're hunting dangerous game. Like there are there are very few things in life where you cannot think about anything else. You're not thinking about, oh, did I leave the iron on? No, none of that. You're not thinking about your work and what you need to do when you get back to it. Or you know, you mm-hmm. are focused on that task at hand, and you're moving through mm-hmm. that bush, and there's something else out there that wants to eat you. And that's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I felt like it was in... St- old school experience that I I think I would have done it the same way if it was, uh, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Um, and I just couldn't have written it, couldn't have written it better. And he was old. He was old.
1: Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Well, I, um, I'm glad that you could take a piece of like a special place that is Africa, right? That is Mozambique, this Northern place in Mozambique, and infuse it into your book so that people that would never get the opportunity To go to a place like even though you're writing fiction this is a totally true place Mm -hmm. totally wild and people can experience feel it you know imagine it through your writing oh yeah oh yeah i mean we heard lions
2: roaring uh at night and you know it's, it's interesting when you think about people in the united states that just don't like hunting that's all that's all that's it why would you it. ever kill something? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But and I'll have a steak tonight. They'll have a steak, and <laughs> they will, uh, as, as soon as their apartment in New York or Los Angeles gets overrun with uh, a rodent of some sort, you know, they're the first people to call the uh, the exterminator. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but if they don't take that time, and that's why I, I try to encourage people to read as much as I, they possibly can and study their history uh, just to get a better understanding of whatever they are go out to make a snap judgment on based off someone's tweet who probably also didn't put the requisite time, energy and effort into studying the issue at hand. Um, But picture Africa and a family living in, let's say a very thin walled type of a structure uh, and a lion walking by when your five-year-old needs to go out to the restroom in the middle of the night. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's a little different.
1: That's very Um, different.
2: And, uh, and then, yeah, of course, the whole conservation piece that that comes into play mm-hmm. and studying. Hey, why does Kenya Kenya look so much different than South Africa right now, as exactly. far as uh, animals go? Uh, why don't the photographers pay as much as the the hunters to go over there? Right. Um, and uh, and why it's just there's so much more to it than a I don't know how many characters you can put in a tweet these days, but it's not that not right. that many. It doesn't yeah, lend right, itself right, right, to right. Uh, to thoughtful discourse. Um, but we owe it to those cultures Mm -hmm. that we're impacting by our decisions even in this country Mm -hmm. to study the issue at hand Mm -hmm. and uh we tend not to do that as Mm -hmm. a as a society for whatever reasons because we have so many inputs i think all the time um but uh yeah maybe thinking about that uh it might be a little different if you're living living in africa and this lion's eating your well possibly eating your children sure um but uh maybe eating your livestock Okay, now what do you do? Mm -hmm. And now when the elephants come through and trample all your crops for the year, now what do you do? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe think that through a little bit more before you just uh, check that box on some sort of an
1: anti-hunting measure. Yeah, yeah, 1,000%. 1,000%. Well, look, you've been gracious enough with your time. I know you've been literally talking. 'Cause you were before this you were talking for like two hours straight. <laughs> so I appreciate your time. I really Lovely. appreciate the support. Oh, um absolutely humbled and, and grateful oh. for what you say about us and um yeah, thank you. Thank you for for what you do. Oh, man, it's an honor. I love what you're doing. Um,
2: and as soon as I saw you pop up on the radar, I was like, who is this guy? You know.
1: <laughs> well, that was, look, I'm fanboyed a little bit too, man. It's was like, holy shit, Jack Carr <laughs> just started <saw> following us.
2: <laughs> oh, so, so right. awesome. No, love what you're doing. You're doing it in such a, a thoughtful, logical way. Appreciate um, and it. And, I mean, that's really I – and mean, we're using these modern platforms mm-hmm. to – to, to reach out to people who will then hopefully put a little more thought. If they're not hunters, put a little more, more thought into into what they're doing. And if they are hunters, um, they're going to learn a lot. They're going to be better hunters by and better people by listening to, to what you have to say and the guests you have on. So you thank know, you.
1: We say, just like what you just said, thought, right? The thing that's going to save hunting is thinking. Mm-hmm
2: might save uh yeah us as a not just not <laughs> just might be hunters, but society in general if we uh take a breath and, and think things through a little more that'll be the next podcast there we go Cheers, awesome mate. hey thank you so much appreciate everything yes
1: sir well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting